You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Um, hey, everybody. My name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu. If, it's not a secret that I'm so hot today. If you notice, I'm already just sweating. So don't, don't be sad or don't be like, wow. Because um, by the end of the sermon, like it's not even started and I'm gone. I'm, I'm, but I'm okay. Just, I'm okay. It's just, uh, it's just hot. I have many fans too. Anyway, just one of those. Sweat a lot. But if you're visiting, that was a weird welcome, I know. But that's okay. That's where we do it here. It's like a fa- just true family in, in, in its form. Um, we're so glad you're here. Obviously, if you've been coming, you're part of the family, but if you're visiting, we're so thankful to have you. Um, we, we like to just dig right in and get into the Word of God, and we're making our way through the book of Exodus, um, great Old Testament book and redemptive story of God's people. So we're in Exodus chapter 19 today. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me. Um, if you don't have one, no, no worries. You can totally open your phone, search Exodus 19. I'll be teaching out of the NIV this morning, or you can share with someone next to you. But uh, open your Bibles there. Let me go ahead and read it, and then pray, and we'll go from there. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, Exodus 19, verse 1 says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, and then, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. To the whole earth is mine, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Then, Moses, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, The Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain. Tell them, be careful that you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Verse 14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. 
On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke the voice of God, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring up Aaron with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way though to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for... Your word, and thank you that it illuminates and teaches us about your character, about your heart, about your, your promises towards humanity. God, we're so thankful that we have it in front of us and that we get to pause. And we want to dedicate this next, however long, to you. We want to say, God, have your way. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. God, we don't just want to come and let it be another Sunday. We ask that we would meet with the living God, the same God that, that came in fire and smoke and was so holy that you couldn't be around him. We want to hear from that God today. So we ask that you do that. Use me as your mouthpiece, Lord, to communicate these truths. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So thus far, kind of a recap. Most of the story that we've been digging into, at least the last few weeks, has been, in the whole book really, has been dealing with these, these people, the Israelites, being saved out of slavery. If you remember, if you haven't been with us, be reminded. The Israel was enslaved and in bondage in Egypt under the tyrant Pharaoh for 430 years. They came into Egypt as a small family, and they're leaving now as a large nation. And the last few chapters has really been adjusting to this new season out of slavery. They've been freed. God miraculously saved them by the plagues and the Passover and by the parting of the Red Sea. And now they're, they've been really just adjusting to desert life. They're in the middle of the desert. I mean, they've never been out of Egypt. They've been in, in slavery. It's not like they've been out here before. And this is a really transitional, informative time in the life of Israel. Again, prior to them finally entering into the promised land, which if you know the Bible, the book of Joshua details this, but this family is now became, become a nation. Again, this is a, this is a story of a minority that was oppressed and they've been freed by God, and they were just kind of slaves before, and now all of a sudden they're a nation, and they're a people of God. And what that means, and how that plays out, and what it's to look like now, is where we're at in our text today. 
And Moses, right, the, the, kind of the hero of our story, the reluctant hero, by the power of God, has led the Israelites out of bondage across the, three, the sea and through the wilderness. And three months later, they end up at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And their arrival was really the fulfillment of God's promise. Because if you remember back in Exodus chapter 3, the way that Moses met God in the burning bush, God said that he was going to do this. It was crazy at the time because there's this God speaking to Moses in a burning bush, but the bush isn't really burning. This is weird. But this God from the burning bush promises, I will free my people. I will be good on my word. And Moses, yes, I know you, Moses, he was reluctant in himself. I'm going to use you to free my people. And one day we're going to end back up at this mountain. Exodus 3.12. God said, I will be with you and you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It's become all full circle. 15 chapters later. Moses and the children of Israel are at the very mountain that Moses first met with God. What this meant to Moses was that if there's any doubt as to whether or not Moses had been serving the right God, it was now settled, right? God had shown his people the sign. God had made good on his promise, and he brought them all to worship on this holy mountain. This is Exodus chapter 9, where we're at in the story. And Israel's arrival at God's mountain is one of the high points of Exodus. It literally marks like the achievement of God's plan to save a people for his glory. And it also marks the beginning of a new stage in God's covenant relationship with his people. Like it's very pivotal. Like if you're living inside that story, if you are Moses... You can't believe it that God leads you to this mountain. Again, Moses wasn't leading it. Remember, it's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so Moses is just trying to do the best he can, following God. And then all of a sudden, where does God lead him? To the same mountain that he met him before. If you were Moses, you just would have been, you would have been throughout. I mean, it was a lot that happened so far. There'd be no mistaking that this was the absolute like pinnacle of God's promise coming to light. And what would take place here on this, you know, nothing really special about this mountain, right? It's, it's a rugged, rocky cliffs rising out of the desert, but Israel would pitch their tents there and that's where they would remain. They're remaining at this mountain for the rest of Exodus. And we'll see, like, God gives them the law and the Ten Commandments. The next few weeks, we're going to look at that. Then he gives them instructions of how to build the tabernacle, right, where God's presence would reside and where they could worship and bring sacrifices to God. And, and here, in this lonely place in the middle of the desert, they met with the living God. And there's a lot of vivid imagery here. There's a lot going on, like the holiness of God and how humanity, we can't, can't approach the holiness of God, and there's a lot there in our text today. But in a nutshell, here's what's happening. There's a commentator by the name of Philip Ryken. He says this. This is kind of telling us what's happening in this chapter this morning. 
He says, while the mountain was a place for the people to meet with God, it was also a place for God to speak to his people. Moses was the mediator, the one who represented Israel before God. To communicate with his people, God spoke to his prophet, Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. His commentary on this says, this was a formal speech as the style of language indicates. God addressed his people using their proper titles because he was setting forth the terms of their relationship. To use the biblical term for it, he was renewing the covenant, his binding love commitment to his people. This is what God is doing. This is the reason why God is speaking to his people in this mountain, in the Sinai Desert. This is the reforming of a covenant or a promise that God had made generations ago to the father of all of Israel, Abraham. Guys might have read about him and know about him in Genesis. Right? Okay, I'm here. Hold on. Where am I? Okay, Abrahamic covenant. Hey, guys. This is weird when the text is like trembling fire on Mount Sinai. It's kind of cool. But anyway, what's happening on Mount Sinai... It's getting hot. That's right. (laughs) I'm totally good. I'm just complaining. It's all right. Okay. So what happened in Genesis chapter 12 is that God before Abraham told Abraham, hey, one day you got no kids now and you're getting old, but you're going to have a lot of descendants and those descendants are going to be my very own people. And I'm actually going to give you a land you're going to take possession of and blah, blah, blah. All these insane promises and your descendants are going to be as innumerable as the stars in the sky. So what's happening here in Exodus 19 is now there is a nation. There's two and a half million people that are at the feet of the mountain. And God is reforming a covenant and promise that he told Abraham centuries before. It's incredible what's happening in the life of Israel. God, once again, is being faithful to what he promised his people he would do. And so the covenant was God's unbreakable promise of love for his people. He made this covenant with Abraham. He promised him a land and a people that would bless the whole world. He confirmed this covenant with Jacob and Isaac. And then in order to make good on his promise, he brought his people out of Egypt, and Exodus is the story of God remembering this covenant. This covenant relationship boils down, speaking of boiling down, okay? (laughs) Sorry, I can't, I can't escape it. Just keep it going. It'll help us all. Use your Bible as a fan, it's right. So, Exodus 6-7, this is what God is telling Moses, that he will make You, speaking of Israel, my own people and I will be their God. In other words, God's covenant relationship to Israel is saying, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And all that has been happening in Exodus has been leading up to this time at the mountain. 
They were brought out of Egypt to be brought in, right? Brought out of Egypt. What did Egypt represent for Israel? Bondage and slavery and lack of freedom. And now God has brought them out of that. And what has he brought them into? It's a loving, committed, covenantal relationship with their God. God's about relationships if you didn't know. And this, this, this is foundational to his people. He desires relationship with his people. And in every way for Israel, what this mountain experience is supposed to be is it's supposed to be a fresh start. Israel, your identity and who you are was an enslaved people. You had no freedom. You had no purpose on your own. You had no direction, actually, because you were told what to do. That was your old way of life. But your new way of life is in covenantal relationship with me. And what that meant for Israel in every sense of the word was a clean slate, a newness of life. In a lot of ways, a rewiring of what it meant to live. They now know, they will know, that they were to be a people set apart, walking in holiness and righteousness, just like their God. Pause real quick. I see many hot faces. What if we, can you guys in the back pop open all the doors? That's going to help everybody. Yeah, Jonah, God bless you, Zan. You can either just open the whole things or just, right? Happy? Clapping. Clapping in front. Clapping. Even sermon points haven't got a clap yet, so this is good. Totally joking. I don't know. I'm just going crazy today. You guys good with this? All right. Different church service, but I like it. Uh, feels good. Maybe placebo effect, but I'm happy. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I like pausing. Oh, I feel it already. No, I'm dying. I'm dying. Death. We're, we're living in the Sinai Desert is what's happening. We're, fe- we're feeling it. We're at the mountain. There's fire. Okay, I got to stop talking about heat. But Israel is going to find out, right, in the coming weeks. I'm jumping back in the sermon, sorry. They're going to find out the details of this covenant. It'll be in the form of the Ten Commandments and the law and the instructions of how to live in this covenant. We would call this the Old Covenant. Fast forward to the New Testament, where we read of and learn about and know and live by the idea that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, he brings forth a new covenant. See, Christ's death upon the cross was for all humanity, not not just the Jewish nation, but those of us that are non-Jewish, Gentiles as well. And a huge purpose of the new covenant or the new, this, this new thing that Jesus did on the cross was so that us Gentiles could be actually grafted in to the family of God, or into relationship with our creator and our father. You guys with me? The Exodus was not just getting Israel out of Egypt, right? It wasn't just getting... It wasn't just saving them out of something, but it was getting Israel close to God. 
Again, this is always true of salvation. Salvation is never an end in itself. Like there is always something greater. And that is God himself and our fellowship with him. Brought out to be brought into relationship. And we could say this about ourselves as well. Egypt is synonymous with sin. God brought us out of the slavery of sin into a relationship with our Father. We're too, we too are saved from sin and set apart to God. It's important that we, we, we know these and walk in these truths. So this is what happens. When you give your life to the Lord, when you surrender, when you admit that you're a sinner and you repent, and when you believe that Jesus did what he did and you're forgiven of your sins, when, when that happens, if you've done that, Change happens, and the Bible refers to it as being born again. And at the core of being born again, our identity, this is a lot of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time, our identity is now in Christ, and our lives are to be lived for Him. It's a change of of, of thinking and a change of heart and a change of identity. We're literally born again into the family of God. And so being a Christian is so much more than just adding something to your life. And we mistakenly view it that way. You know, okay, I'm a Christian now. Like I got saved this one time. I prayed the prayer, whatever it is. So now I'm just adding a Sunday morning event to my schedule. Right? That's what it means. Like, okay, I'm a Christian, so what it means is you go to church now. Eh, part of it. And sometimes we mistakenly think, well, you know, now I just give, like, time and money to this thing or this purpose. And, or, you know, for me, being a Christian is I'm just trying not to cuss as much or do really bad things. Right? We think that. We get saved and, like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like I just got to change some things and add some things to my life. And, yes, these are all good things. Part of it but they're just symptoms of a radical change that happens. That's why we would say it's not a religion, but it's a relationship. That's why we coin that Christianese phrase. The Christianity isn't just a religion of adding things or taking things away, but it's a relationship with a God that is changing us from the inside out. And so at the core, when we're born again, like where our foundation of our lives is, where our grounding is, is now in Christ. Like, like the foundation of our life is now grounded in Christ. So for Israel, taking it back to Israel at the mountain for a second. It was super important to remember for them, their heritage, their ancestors, their lineage, and their bloodline. But like it was important that they, didn't, they did not forget where they came from and what God had done. But the thing that should define them, that they're going to learn more than all of that, is that they were God's people. That God saved them out of the bondage and brokenness into wholeness and relationship. And the Bible would say it's into a covenant relationship. And we too are in relationship with our God, like I just said. It is the gospel in a nutshell. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Uh, a lot of people would say, forgive our sin. Y yes, but why did he need to forgive our sin? To repair a broken relationship so that we could be with our God. 
What's the point of the cross? It's, it's fixing a relationship that's broken. So when we say God is a relational God, it's at the core of everything that he is. And we get to see that here. And so for us too, we are in relationship with God. And so over time, in that relationship, post being born again, everything in our lives actually does change because we're looking at the world through a different lens, a different worldview. Uh, the way in which we view our own lives, our place in the world, who we are, is actually supposed to be grounded and shaped in who we are in Christ. Everything is supposed to come out of that new lens that we look through. And so for Israel, this reaffirming covenant as the people of God was to personally form their identity as the people set apart for Yahweh. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to look like the other people that you're going to live around. You're supposed to be set apart and holy as I am holy. You're to be a people that is set apart. And so for Israel, the way in which they were to look at their life was to say things like, this is my identity now. I know where my life's perfect purpose comes from. Like my direction, my grounding is in my covenant relationship with God. And if you're a Christian in this room, the question that we should ask ourselves is, are we living out that identity as God's beloved, as his son or as his daughter, as his very own possession? Or are we living our lives from a completely different identity? And I'm going to bring it, I'm bringing it real deep right now, like the core of our being. And again, there, there may be good things that God has given each of us or roles or giftings that he's entrusted us with. Maybe we're born into them or, or we're proud of them. But even these good things may be interfering with our identity in Christ. So here's some examples. Being a mother, being a man, being successful, being athletic, being creative, being American, like you fill in the blank. These aren't inherently bad, but you can quickly make one or a combination of these things what grounds you and defines you and makes you who you are. And if you were to take away these roles or if you were to become unsuccessful or, or you know, uh, if you somehow stopped being one of these things, they would end you, right? It's great that you're a mom. It's wonderful. It's a gift to the whole world that you're a mom. But that doesn't define you strictly. That's a role. That's a gift. That's something to steward. But that doesn't define like at the core of who you are. Same thing is like if you're super successful at your job, that doesn't, that shouldn't define you. That's just like, good job. Awesome. Praise God. Like what, whatever, like thank, thank the Lord. But that doesn't define us. Like you get the point. And even good things can mess with like who we are. I don't know if you know this, but it's actually like really weird to be a pastor. It's, it's, it's awesome, but it's weird. This is what I mean. When it comes to this, it's a really messy, murky, slippery slope of like who I am as a person. Because it deals with spiritual things. 
And so me like prepping for a sermon. Oh, well, I read the Bible. It's like, yeah, but you didn't, I didn't read it for me. I read it for you. I read it for us. And we can easily like only fill my time with praying about other things. And all of a sudden I can be defined as pastor is. That's who I am as a person. No, that's not who I am. That's a part of who I am. But at the core, who am I supposed to be? A beloved son of my God. So, God, God like, I'm honored and I'm thankful and, and that, I, that I, God uses me and has called me to do what I do. But if I made being a pastor my identity, what would happen if I stopped being a pastor? Like, I would, I would question all of life then, right? But if... I know that I'm a beloved son of the king. And all these other things that he gives me are are gifts and wonderful and amazing, but they're secondary to who I am in Christ. See, See, that is what God is trying to do in the children of Israel and is to remind them like who at the core of their being, who they are. You're my people and I'm your God. Everything else is secondary. Right, so because first and foremost, each of us are the beloved of God, the Bible would say, a son and daughter of God. And our relationship with God and what it means for us to be in Christ is to be our grounding and our foundation to the direction and purpose of our lives. So this is what this means for, for us that are children of God. It means that we're fully accepted We're adored, we're loved, like we're secure, we're forgiven, we're made new, and the list goes on. Like we're supposed to live in that. Like we're supposed to live as that as our identity before God and the most important person that matters, my creator, I'm loved and accepted and adored, and it doesn't matter what I do, he's going to love me anyway. That's where we're supposed to live. But also, not only can the good things get in the way sometimes, like being a pastor or being a mom, whatever it is, there can also be be real negatives that can lead us to live from a false identity. Like, right, okay, if you're believing that just you're a failure, you've been told that, maybe like you could justify why that's true, that nothing works, what you do, all of a sudden, if you're living out of you're a failure, well, then everything's going to be looked through that lens. And no longer are you living out of your true identity as a son and daughter of God. For some of us, it may be like we're still living in the past, our past sins. We're dwelling on them. Maybe we haven't given them or surrendered them to the Lord. And what's happening is who you used to be, you're still living out of that. Bible would say that the old is past and the new has come. We're not supposed to do that. And that's going to injure us. It's going to hurt us. And in all sensitivity, because this is a sensitive one, you may have experienced the trauma, right? Maybe it's abuse or a traumatic event in your childhood or recently or whatever it is. And if you haven't been healed of that and like worked through that and given it to the Lord and prayed over it and everything that it would take, you're probably in a really bad place. In an unhealthy, fearful, hurt place, and what's happened is, is it's not at all your fault and you didn't do it. You didn't mean to do it. It just happened to you. But because of that, you're not really living into the full whole identity as God's beloved. 
doesn't just have to be a negative or a positive thing. Any of these things can get in the way of us experiencing what it means to be in son and daughter of our God. And so today, we're all in different places, right? And our response is going to be different depending on the list I just gave and what's happened to you or who you are or how you're living. So for some of us, hearing this, we may just need to be realigned. Right? Like, God, man, I, have, I, ha- I haven't been doing that. I have not been living out of the identity as a son and daughter of my king. So maybe for some of us, it's, it's need to repent. Like, maybe I've been living for everything but God. And I live out of the motivation of everything but God. I, I, maybe it's to repent. Repent means to surrender and give up and ask for forgiveness and come before God saying, God, I have not been living as you designed and created me to. And it's laying at the feet of Jesus and then walking away. Repentance is doing a 180. It's leaving your sins at the foot of the cross, asking God to forgive you. And what does he do? He does. And you turn from that and you leave it at the feet of Jesus. And for some of us in here, we just need to be healed. Like we need God by the power of his Holy Spirit to do a radical work of healing in our life because we're stuck and we're hurt and we're, we're not able to live fully in to how God has us. And so this is what I want to do. I want to encourage us, regardless of where we're at, with a few things. Number one is to be self-aware, to, to, to self-assess where your grounding is in your life, where your identity is as a human. Is it as God's beloved or is it something else? And I pray that the Holy Spirit has lovingly illuminated maybe some of these things this morning. But also, I want to encourage us to deal with the hard stuff. Like, don't keep living out a false identity or on a false foundation. Again, it's robbing you of what God has. Again, it may not be your fault or your doing, but my charge to us is let's get healthy and whole. And so so for some real tangible takeaways, if you're like very practical, I've been living in like crazy, ethereal heart identity stuff. If you want some real practical, here's some ways I would do it. Regardless of where we're at, is acknowledge where you're at. Like be truthful with yourself and with God. And, and, and either repent or, or just acknowledge it. Like, yeah, that's where I'm at. And then I would pray and ask God for change and healing and realigning. Go to God first. Lay it at his feet. Be vulnerable. Be honest with your father who loves you. And I understand that I'm talking about some really heavy things in some of your life. I don't say it lightly. But I'm saying you can trust God to hear you. It's a safe place. Also, what I would encourage you to do is to involve others, like your family, your ohana here. Guys, we all need community. We all need accountability. We all need support. These are not light issues when we're not living out of our true identity in Christ. And you guys have heard me talk about it before. I'm a huge fan and see incredible fruit with walking through this stuff and therapy and counseling. Man, especially if it's abuse or trauma has happened, like walk through that and pray through that with someone that knows what they're doing. 
along with all these other things, but do it. It's worth it. God's desire and my desire, and I think your friends and your family's desire, is that we would walk in and live out our relationship with God as his beloved, whole and full of life as he intended. Okay, I'm going to land the plane. For Israel, the rest of their life going forth is determined by how they apply and live out what happens here at Sinai as a covenantal people of God. If only they just would walk in that. We'll see that it's very tumultuous and they don't last long in it. But for us, our identity and foundation is in Christ is as important. So my charge is like a pastor and a friend and a brother in Christ is to not miss out on the loving and perfect union we have with God and Christ our Savior. Amen. I want to end with one verse out of 1 Peter 2 to connect to our text today. So in our text today, in verse 5 and in verse 6, this is the kind of the terms of the covenant with God's people. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Through the whole earth is mine. Verse 6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to believers that are scattered abroad outside of Israel, Jews and Gentiles, under heavy persecution. And because of the cross and because of the work of the cross, Gentiles right now are grafted into the family of God. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, look what Peter says to Jews and Gentile believers. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is a copy, a paraphrase of Exodus 19. Once you were not a people, but you are now the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, we've been grafted into the family of God by the work of the cross. And so today we can stand here knowing who we are in Christ. Question is, are we walking in that? Are we living it out? And so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go into a time of worship and response and application. I don't know how worship is going to work. It's going to work? It's going to work. Acoustic, maybe? Nobody knows. Let me pray, then we'll do it. God, thank you. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you're a God that cares about our relationship with your people. And God, thank you that as we read Exodus, not only do we see your heart, but we see your purpose with your people, and we thank you that that's true of us as well. And so, God, we want to worship you now because you're worthy of it. God, help us to recall all the good things that you've done, that we can stand here this morning as your people that are loved and adored and accepted and forgiven. 
that what we do in this world or who we are doesn't change our identity that's in Christ. So God, we ask that you would be glorified and honored and exalted and magnified and lifted up in our time of worship right now. Thank you that uh, the power going out doesn't change the fact that we're the people of God worshiping the person of God. So God, we do that. We pray you'd be exalted and magnified and lifted up in this place. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.